Hey there, Guten Morgen. So what Marestat is up to? Investigations. Thanks for 300k yesterday. New charges. 50 minutes ago. It looks like the Fed has just declared war on American people. again because it. That was Fulton County, Georgia criminal Rico co-defendant of Donald Trump, Trevian Cuddy. We did a story here on the Midas Touch Network exposing what appeared to be a very serious violation of the terms of her release in connection with the RICO indictment in Fulton County. And waves are being made after our reporting, and an investigation appears to be underway in Fulton County into Trevian Cuddy's potential violation after our reporting. I'm Ben Micellis from the Midas Touch Network. That is what Impact Reporting is all about here at the Midas Touch Network. Our editor-in-chief, Ron Filipkowski, earlier in Monday published a bombshell story. Trump's Georgia Rico co-defendant Trevian Cuddy went on Instagram Live and threatened witness Ruby Freeman, quote, I'm going to F up her whole life, or I'm going to F her whole life up. So our diligent reporters here at the Midas Touch Network and vigilant reporters here at the Midas Touch Network uncovered an Instagram Live in the past week of Trevian Cuddy, this Trump co-defendant who you saw there threatening Ruby Freeman at the Cobb County Police Station. That was from January 4th of 2021. There's a longer video of Trevian Cuddy threatening Ruby Freeman, but Cuddy, who claims to be a crisis manager, seems like more of a crisis maker to me, but she says that she's a crisis response manager for Kanye West and R. Kelly and that she does PR. She threatened Ruby Freeman. I know powerful people and you are causing major problems here and you need to admit that you're responsible. All of these deranged threats being made to Ruby Freeman by Trevian Cuddy, who worked in connection with Harrison Floyd, someone else who is a co-defendant in the Georgia criminal RICO case. So we published um, that story exposing the Instagram live. Um, and here's the fallout from that. Um, CNN's reporting, we're reporting on Midas Touch, that the Fulton County District Attorney may ask to revoke bail of Trevian Cuddy as a result of our reporting. Talks about how Trevian Cuddy posted a video. The Fulton County District Attorney's Office is now considering whether to try to get Cuddy's bond revoked, according to a source familiar with the situation by arguing her remarks on the Instagram Live video violated the terms. Cuddy, a Chicago-based publicist who worked at one time with R. Kelly, uh, has been accused of by prosecutors of pressuring Fulton County election workers in early 2021 during a meeting filmed by Cobb County police officers in Atlanta suburbs. 
Prosecutors say Cuddy sought the meeting with Ruby Freeman, who was among the election workers falsely accused by Trump and his allies of helping rig the election in Georgia, supposedly by counting fake mail-in ballots. In the Instagram video shared on the website MidasTouch.com, she appeared to refer to Freeman saying, quote, there's a woman sitting somewhere who knows this whole thing is a lie, who knows I never did anything to her, who knows I never, who knows she begged me for help. There's a woman sitting somewhere who knows that I'm going to F up her whole life when this is done. Cuddy's lawyer said that her client did nothing wrong. And Fulton County District Attorney's Office declined to comment. Let me show you the video that we unearthed here at Midas Touch Network, and then let me show you what Trevi and Cuddy said about us. Let's play this clip. You can't kill Trump when his entire base is a militia. You can't do it. Negro, your mama's fingerprints are on on, on it too. Look, okay? I, I just, I, I, I want to respect black people and black men, but when you come over here and you act crazy and you talk crazy to me, you're going to be, you're, you'll be outdone, okay? You'll be outdone. Everybody's alive. There's no murder weapon. As a matter of fact, there's a woman sitting somewhere who knows this whole thing is a lie. Who knows I never did anything to her? Who knows I never, who knows she begged me for help? There's a woman sitting somewhere who knows that I'm going to fuck her whole life up when this is done. It is on video. That's the best thing. But you got a cut and paste video, okay? So that's amazing that it is on, that's the best thing about it. It's on video in a police station. So after we reported here on that video on MidasTouch.com, Trevian Cuddy wrote the following on her Twitter or X account. At Ron Filipkowski, the Midas Touch are the very people we must fight against. Mm. The desperate fake news outlet is nothing without the 10 articles you've done on me. Your whack publication will never be anything unless I sue you and take it over. Hashtag Trevian Touch has a ring to it. And then Ron Filipkowski, our editor-in-chief, responded, I'm not the one who went on Instagram and threatened a witness against me in a criminal case. We just published the clips of it. And in those clips, by the way, you see Trevian Cuddy also attacking Fulton County District Attorney Bonnie Willis and calling her horrific names as well. Um, some legal commentators in the Atlanta area, Anthony Michael Kreiss, wrote, Good morning from Fulton County. I suspect we'll see a motion to revoke Trevian Cuddy's consent bond for witness intimidation of Ruby Freeman within the next two hours and would not be shocked if she's indicted again for additional racketeering act by the grand jury as a result of reporting by Midas Touch. Janae Nelson of the Legal Defense Fund from the NAACP writes, this is not even a close call. This whole rant by Trevian Cuddy is a case study in witness intimidation and obstruction. All prosecutors in these election subversion cases must give no quarter when it comes to these antics and fully and swiftly enforce the law and bond terms. And as to Trevian Cuddy's attack on the Midas Touch Network, it is laughable. 
I mean, the ten st- we'd be nothing without the 10 stories on you. What about the 15 stories that we do every day without you? We just happen to see your Instagram live, and our very diligent reporters simply show the world what it is that you said. I think we will do just fine without you, Trevi. <laughs> I think we will do just fine. And by the way, with Trevi and Cuddy attacking us, it reminds me of Donald Trump and Don Jr., attacking us as well after we exposed their violations, uh, or Donald Trump's violations, rather, of the gag order in New York back on October 20th, when we identified that Donald Trump did not remove the threats against Judge Ngoron's principal law clerk in that matter, uh, even though he was ordered to take it down on October 3rd. Donald Trump was held in contempt, and a subsequent violation was found five days later after the Midas Touch reported about the violation. Trump was held in contempt. Trump appealed uh, the violation, and recently the Appellate Division First Department uh, upheld the gag order imposed by Judge Ngoron. So we've got Trump and Don Jr. and Trevi and Cuddy attacking us. Um, And we've also reported here on the Midas Touch Network about Harrison Floyd, her co-defendant. And our reporting was one of the things that was uh, provided by the Fulton County District Attorney's Office in that evidentiary hearing as well. Um, There are other examples, too, of Midas Touch identifying these violations of uh, gag orders and other court orders and, uh, and terms of release for these various defendants and Trump in these various cases. But folks, that's what impact reporting is all about. So when I tell you about our Patreon account here at the Midas Touch Network and where we don't have outside investors, if you go to patreon.com slash Midas Touch, that's how we build this out. It's one of the main ways we build this out and have a team that is scouring uh, the web and social media and elsewhere for this data and we're just publishing the data that's it as ron Filipkowski says we're not the one who, who made the threat you did we published it and the chips will fall where the chips will fall i've been micellus from the midas touch network hit subscribe we're on our way to two million subscribers thanks to your support again it's patreon.com slash midas touch have a great one Hey, Midas Mighty, love this report? Continue the conversation by following us on Instagram, at Midas Touch. She don't need no Instagram. What are you waiting for? Follow us now. Factor is by far the best food subscription I have ever tried. And I know you're... We have no rights whatsoever. Any company coming to New York would be crazy. Because it's a setup, it's a rigged trial. We have a hostile group of people, we have a very hostile judge, I hate to say it, we have a very, very hostile judge, and I think everybody knows that, and we see that. But the good thing is, we have all of the evidence on our side, they have nothing. And it's a case that should have never been brought. Uh, I just read many, many articles saying this case is a disgrace to our nation. That was Donald Trump ranting and raving like a total maniac outside of the New York Attorney General civil fraud case back when he previously showed up for a few days, including uh, the day of his testimony. I'm Ben Micellis from the Midas Touch Network. 
there's been a lot of discussion on this gag order imposed on Donald Trump and that Donald Trump has tried desperately to remove this gag order, which simply prevents him from attacking the judge's law clerk. Donald Trump desperately wants to attack the judge's principal law clerk. So bizarre. Why is Donald Trump doing that? Because he's just getting crushed in court. Absolutely crushed in court. So one of the things he was hoping to do was try to get rid of the gag order in time for his next purported day of testimony. So Donald Trump previously testified a few weeks back in the New York Attorney General's case in chief where he was cross-examined. His lawyers had the opportunity to then conduct a direct examination within the scope of the cross-examination by the New York Attorney General's lawyers. They did not do that, Donald Trump's lawyers. They're claiming that they're going to have Eric Trump testify on December 6th. We'll see about that. And then they're claiming they're going to have Donald Trump testify shortly thereafter. We're thinking it could be December 11th, 2023, and that that's going to be the last witness that Trump's lawyers call is going to be Donald Trump. So one of the things Donald Trump desperately wanted to do, desperately, he wanted to show up, be able to attack the principal law clerk, I think create a whole scene there, and try to instigate a mistrial because he's getting absolutely crushed. His former controller, Jeff McConney, testified about the fraudulent and inaccurate numbers. His other current vice presidents testified about uh, inaccurate data. Uh, his former chief financial officer said that he was not familiar with generally accepting accounting principles. You had Donald Trump. His testimony was utterly uh, horrific. Trump, his kids, Eric and Don Jr., they all claim that like they basically just relied on the professionals, even though the professionals have agreements stating that it's the corporation's responsibility to provide accurate data and also who runs a legitimate corporation and doesn't actually go through their data and just allows outside professionals to do everything. It makes absolutely zero sense. So Donald Trump urgently, urgently sought an emergency application with the appellate division first department to go straight to the court of appeals in New York in order to try to remove the gag order imposed on him back on October 3rd and confirmed on October 20th, and I believe the 24th or the 25th again, to allow him to attack the judge's principal law clerk, because I think Trump is terrified of being arrested. I mean, Donald Trump projects, you know, whatever he, the hell he projects on his uh, social media platform, but he's scared. He doesn't want to get arrested. So I think he wanted to be able to do that to try to instigate a mistrial. Now, that was rejected. Now, I, just, I don't want it to be confusing as you hear in Court of Appeals, Appellate Division. Just so you know, in New York, there is the Supreme Court. This is why New York is confusing. Um, the Supreme Court's their lower court, their trial court. So Judge Ngoron is in the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court in New York is not the highest court. I know that's confusing. So the next tier is the Appellate Division. 
Supreme Court Appellate Division and the First Department has jurisdiction over the Supreme Court the same way, say, a Circuit Court of Appeals and Federal Court has jurisdiction over the Federal Courts. I, don't, I just don't want to confuse you. So you have Supreme Court, Appellate Division, First Department, and then the Court of Appeals is the highest court in New York. So when the Appellate Division First Department panel rejected Donald Trump's Article 78 lawsuit against Judge Ngoron to try to block the gag order preventing Donald Trump from attacking the principal law clerk. And remember, there was that short moment where it was temporary sta temporarily stayed, and then the appellate division uh, found that the gag order was proper and put it back into place. Remember, that just happened. So now Donald Trump filed an emergency application with that same appellate division for leave to go to the highest court, the Court of Appeal, and the appellate division rejected that. Here's the order by the appellate division right here. It's a short order which says the application for interim relief seeking an expedited grant of leave to the Court of Appeals is denied. As such, motion must be decided by a full panel of this court. Further, the movement, the movement Trump, seeks an interim application for a preference, and that is likewise denied. As such, determination must be made by a full panel of this court. The application for an expedited briefing schedule of the above motion is granted as set forth below, so ordered. Motion date, December 11th, 2023. Opposition is due um, in January of uh, 2024, um, and there is no reply brief. So for all purposes, the appellate division is not even going to hear this until the case is basically done. So this gag order is going to remain in effect while Donald Trump shows up and testifies, if indeed Donald Trump is going to show up on December 11th, 2023. I'm still skeptical if Donald Trump's actually going to show up again. He almost got kicked out the first time, uh, which I suspected was going to happen. If he does show up, I believe it's just going to be to try to bait Judge Ngoron into doing something that Trump could try to use against uh, Judge Ngoron, but we'll see about that. But here we know the appellate divisions basically say, if you want to go to the Court of Appeals on an expedited basis, you first have to then go to us as a full panel, ask us, we'll hear it, and then we can give you leave. But that's not even going to be decided until January uh, under this new order. So then Donald Trump's going to uh, testify um, while this gag order remains in place. I think one thought I just want to basically make clear here is that the New York Attorney General's office, Judge Ngoron, the court staff, everybody against all of Donald Trump's antics, and you see all of them attacking the judge, attacking the judge's wife, attacking the judge's son attacking the New York Attorney General. Trump filed a federal lawsuit against the New York Attorney General before in federal court by Syracuse, New York. Donald Trump filed a federal lawsuit against New York Attorney General Letitia James in the Southern District of Florida. Trump files all these frivolous things, and throughout, throughout Donald Trump's life, 
he's been able to bully people into submission. And by the way, you can see how. I mean, these tactics with all of these resources that he's thrown to attack people's lives and try to break them down using other people as his kind of kamikaze agents, the Alina Habas and the Christopher Kaises, and you go back to all of his other lawyers, you know, this barrage of people sacrificing their own careers and reputations to destroy other people's lives to protect Donald Trump. That's what he's done his whole life. That's his M.O. But now he's being confronted by people like New York Attorney General Letitia James, Special Counsel Jack Smith, Judge Ngoron, people who have exhibited the utmost courage during all of this. That's why we see Donald Trump just completely losing everything, losing his mind. And he's about to lose his corporation. And we're starting to see how the appellate division first department's going to rule on things related to Donald Trump. He's not getting his way with them. And they're upholding what Judge Ngoron is doing to protect the judiciary. And finally, what you're going to see if Donald Trump does testify as someone who's out of control, the cross-examination on him is going to be such that I wouldn't be surprised if he just walks out and runs away during the testimony or gets kicked out, because that's what he's trying to provoke. But now there's a precedent that's been established that Trump's behavior is wrong. And he's not going to get away with it. He's not going to get away with it. Then we've got the March 2024 trial. So this is all good news, folks. Trust me. I know you want this to move faster. I know I see in the comments when you say this is taking way too long. I get it. But you'll remember there was a time where we were having these conversations together. And many people in the comments were saying that there's no way Donald Trump will ever be charged with any crimes at all. Well, he's been charged now with over 90 felony counts, okay? So now I know a lot of people are saying, well, he's never going to be convicted, okay? He is relying on this view that the judiciary is not strong enough to hold him accountable. He's relying on the tactics of fascism to try to break people's spirits. Don't let your spirit be broken. We have courageous and strong prosecutors and law and order judges who get it, who were built for this moment. Donald Trump is going to be held accountable in New York for criminal cases. I'm confident of that. I'm Ben Micellis from the Midas Touch Network. Hit subscribe. We're on our way to 2 million subscribers. Thanks to your support and have a great day. Hey, Midas Mighty. Love this report? Continue the conversation by following us on Instagram, at Midas Touch, to keep up with the most important news of the day. What are you waiting for? Follow us now.
Let's see what else they got. It's Ken Harbaugh with Against All Enemies on the Midas Touch Network. There is a shocking new law being proposed in Texas that would require residents to produce identification on demand, even if there's no evidence of a crime. Wow. We're not talking about showing a driver's license to a highway mm. patrol officer when pulled over. We're talking about Americans having to carry identification papers at all times. In fact, one state rep says she already does this out of fear of being profiled. I asked one of our fan favorites back on the show to talk about this, and Olivia Juliana doesn't hold back. Here's our conversation. Olivia Juliana, great to have you back. I wanted to talk to you today because there's this insane story out of Texas, and I think you've got the Texas uh, colors on. Am I right? I don't see the full frame, but that looks like a very Texas shirt. Awesome. <laughs> My parents are, are in a small town just outside San Antonio, so I think some folks know I have a special uh, attachment to Texas. There is this insane story about Senate Bill 4, and it was brought to my attention from this story about State Rep Victoria Criado, who says, I mean, this is a democratically elected representative serving in Austin who carries her passport with her all the time in the United States because she is afraid of having to prove her identity. Now there is an attempt to codify that kind of oppression. And as a student of history, my thoughts immediately go back to, I mean, pick your totalitarian regime, but papers please is an expression that should send chills down the spine of any freedom-loving American. Yeah, I mean, this, this story really, it is, uh, it's twofold. So there, there's two reasons why she could be saying this or, uh, or doing this to protect herself. The, the first reason is this, this bill that just passed through the Texas legislature, uh, HB4, SB4, which, like you said, you know, it is, it very much is a show me your papers bill. It empowers um, police officers in the state of Texas to essentially act as federal immigration officers, uh, which is not only unprecedented, but it is unconstitutional because it gives them the power to racially discriminate against minorities um, and target people who are suspected of being migrants. Well, then the question is posed there, well, what does a migrant look like? And that is where the racial discrimination aspect of this comes into play. Um, the second uh, reasoning for this could be, you said yourself, this is a lawmaker who, when session uh, is going on, she is in the city of Austin. The city of Austin right now, uh, currently, not only do they have the Austin Police Department, but they also have over, I believe, 100 Department of Public Safety officers who routinely patrol the city under the directives of Governor Abbott. And why that happened is when, uh, when Mayor Kirk Watson was elected, he decided that he wanted to do this partnership with the Department of Public Safety, with Governor Abbott, to bring those officers into the city. And what ended up happening is we saw a huge uptick in the misdemeanor arrests and the um, altercations with police officers, specifically within the Latino community. And so the city of Austin and the city council actually decided to dissolve that partnership and to remove the patrols from the city of Austin. And Governor Abbott actually came in and said, well, you actually don't have the power to do that. 
I'm the person that oversees the Department of Public Safety, so I'm actually going to send 75 more DPS officers into the city. So now, not only do you have HB4 that has gone into effect, which allows for any officer of the law in the state of Texas to racially profile people, but you also now, in the city of Austin, um, have an influx of police officers who are not overseen by the city, who are not overseen by the mayor, who are specifically given their directives by Governor Abbott. And this just plays into this entire theme of this is a special session agenda item, which means that in order for this to come up in this special session, Governor Abbott had to put it on the agenda. So this is not the agenda of the people. This is not the agenda of the voters. This is truly the agenda of Governor Abbott, of his donors, and of the people who were steering the politics within the Republican Party of Texas. This seems to be a national trend where you have red states trying to tell blue cities within those states how to govern themselves, how to police themselves. Uh, it is backfiring in some cases, but I don't, I don't think enough Americans realize just the, the, the imposition that Republican governors are placing on democratically elected Democratic mayors and city councils because they don't like their politics. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You know, I live in the city of Houston right now. We have a mayor's election going on. Um, and we have we have two candidates, one of which is Congressman Sheila Jackson Lee, the other is State Senator John Whitmire. Um, John Whitmire is actually a proponent of this TPS program that was put into place in Austin. And even though he saw the records there, he still wants to bring it here into the city of Houston, which I find reprehensible. But um, here in Houston in particular, it's also in Harris County, which is the largest, bluest county in the state of Texas. And the state legislature has routinely passed and prioritized bills specifically to affect Houston and Harris County because of the electoral possibilities that will come from this county. Um, a lot of election laws come into mind. There was an election bill in particular that changed the way that elections function uh, in Harris County. And the way that the bill was written is it was specifically said counties with a population of over, I want to say, 2.5 million. And the only county in the state of Texas that that applies to is Harris County. Uh, and so it's not just, you know, targeting these uh, big blue cities. Um, it really is subverting the will of the voters because in these cities, you have, you know, democratically elected um, mayors, you have democratically elected city councils, but you also have county commissions, which have a, a substantial amount of power, especially in relations to um, money coming down from the federal government. So it's very much sinister in the way of it's we're going to try to subvert your elections but we are also going to try our best to ensure that you don't get access to the the programs and materials and resources that you need as a as a way of punishment really um and that is that's the the theme that we constantly see coming out of austin that we constantly see coming out of the governor's mansion which is if you are not following the agenda of greg abbott uh the defend texas liberty pack uh, of Tim Dunn, uh, Tim Dunn and these other donors, then your bills are going to get vetoed. They're going to be called back for a special session. We're going to primary you, which is what's happening right now. There is a civil war in the Republican primaries happening here in Texas because um, uh, there are Republicans who are not conservative enough because they would not vote on vouchers, and they decided instead to protect Texas public schools. So now they're trying to remove them from office, and that's just the theme that we see constantly here in Texas. Thanks for listening, everyone. I've got a quick break here, but I need a favor first. Shows like this depend on your support. Please, if you can spare five seconds, 
click the link to the podcast version of the show below and leave us a five-star review. It really does help. Thanks. It's <clears throat> terrifying. They're trying to do that to me, too, on my property. I think the first Came and said, we had a accident. That was the first time it really you're gonna take me to jail because I rancorous declined to war identify myself. Party is. But I want you to help us understand the moral implications of that for the Republican Party at large. This is a clearly corrupt AG, Attorney General, top law enforcement officer of the state of Texas. Uh, Why is Abbott still in office? Side in the House of Representatives and they let him off in the Senate. Why did they do that, and what does that say, not just about Texas or Texas's Republican Party and Republicans around the country? So Ken Paxton has been under federal indictment the entire time he has been Attorney General of the state of Texas. Um, and what happened here was, essentially, the, uh, the Defend Texas Liberty PAC is a far-right PAC here in the state of Texas that has largely decided the agenda of the Republican Party. They are the ones putting up a lot of this money in these different elections that have been going on. Um, and essentially what happened is this all really came up because of the impeachment of Ken Paxton. Uh, the Speaker of the Texas House, his name is Dave Phelan, he is a little bit more uh, a little bit more centered than some of these other Republicans. He's willing to work with Democratic elected officials and committees. And that was a problem for them, because why are you wanting to work with Democrats if you are the Speaker of the House? That's uh, that's antithetical to what the conservatives want in Texas, despite the fact that they have packed all their conservative agenda items with pretty much flying cover. Flying color. Um, but what happened is it was put to a vote, and the Defend Texas Liberty Pact started to threaten people. They said, if you vote for this impeachment, we're going to primary you. And that's where you see a lot of these primaries in the State House coming from. That same pack then went to the Texas Senate. And in the state of Texas, an impeachment trial is overseen by the lieutenant governor as the president of the Senate. Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, um, uh, it comes out the day that the impeachment trial is going to begin. I believe two days later, Dan Patrick receives $3 million from the Defend Texas Liberty Pack, which uh, is, keep in mind, the same pack that had been threatening people that if you vote to impeach Ken Paxton, we will primary you out of office. So Ken Paxton is being impeached in the Texas Senate, where, by the way, his wife is also a Texas state senator. And the judge overseeing the trial receives $3 million from one of the largest, most corrupt pro-Ken Paxton packs in the entire state, if not one of the most corrupt in the entire country. And coincidentally, um, he is acquitted of all charges in the Texas Senate. Now, an important note I want to make here for a lot of people is they think that this is a one-and-done thing. And I need to remind folks that Ken Paxton still has federal charges pending. And I truly believe that it is not when Ken Paxton goes to jail, it is, or if he goes to jail, it's when he goes to jail. Because at some point, he will be held accountable for his crimes. I don't think it'll happen in the state of Texas, but he, he committed federal crimes, and he's going to have to suffer the consequences of that. But those are federal charges, and this is, I'm sure, going to be a depressing point. If Donald Trump wins the next election, the pardons are going to be, you know, fast and, and, and free, and Trump was Ken Paxton's 
biggest champion. I think he loved the fact that he was corrupt. He saw a, a kindred spirit in Ken Paxton and and defended him all the way and was one of the first people to congratulate him after the Senate acquitted him. I can't think of a more damning indictment of today's Republican Party than just how attracted to the corruption they are and how they celebrate their victory over justice itself. Well, I think that, I think you just said it, uh, said it yourself, which is this is precisely why we need to reelect Joe Biden and Kamala Harris in 2024 is because uh, it's not just about the crimes of Donald Trump, it's the crimes of the people who he has chosen to surround himself with. Uh, and, you know, Ken Paxton is just one of many examples of that. I mean, how many Trump allies have we seen in the last couple of years go to jail or be convicted of crimes, uh, you know, not pending a conviction of the former president? I think that this is just the case we have to make to the voters of understanding what is truly at stake. Talk about that. You have this viral tweet out talking about the stakes. I can't think of very many people who think Joe Biden is a perfect president the stakes of a purity test in this case are almost too high to imagine. Uh, talk to us about your activism there and and why the vote is not a, for, a virtue signal. It is a it is a chess move. Mm-hmm. I think the the most important thing I think people have to remember is I think a lot of people uh, their political opinions for the most part, at least within the Democratic Party, are coming from a place of empathy. Uh, and I think at the end of the day, there's this kind of uh, tension, very strong tension right now, obviously linked to the conflict going on uh, in the Middle East. And I think a lot of people are forgetting something that AOC actually said last year uh, when she was asked if she would endorse President Biden for re-election in 2024, which is, we agree on the things that matter the most. Like, we agree on the core principles. We agree that voting, it should be easier to vote. We agree that people should be able to make decisions about their own body. We agree that we should protect education. We agree that we shouldn't ban books. These are core fundamental things that we all agree on. Uh, And, you know, I'm a young woman. I live in the state of Texas. And for me, the consequences of elections are felt uh, very literally. This is not, it's not a metaphorical thing of, oh, this could happen. I live in a state where abortion is banned with no exceptions. I live in a state where public education is being defunded and attacked and books are being banned. I live in a state where my elected government representatives are consistently trying to subvert the will of me as a voter and to make it more difficult for me to take part in our democracy. These are not the hypothetical stakes of what will happen in America if Donald Trump is reelected to be president. These are the realities that millions of people like myself are already living in that will get substantially worse if you do not reelect President Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris. And it's not just about uh, virtue signaling. It's not about, oh, well, you know, they're not the other guy. They're not as bad, so I'm going to vote for them. I am not voting against Donald Trump. I am voting for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris because of what they have done for people across this country. We are seeing, uh, we've seen mass investments. I could go on and on about the bipartisan, bipartisan legislation that's happened in such an extreme time of political polarization. And I often talk myself about the, uh, the reason I'm able to have gone to college my freshman year is because of the American Rescue Plan. That is an investment that the Biden-Harris administration made that tangibly changed the direction of my life. And I am just one of millions of young people in this country who got access to that kind of uh, policy and to that kind of grant because of this administration. This is just one example. And so uh, I am unapologetic 
in my support of reelecting them. I understand there are going to be people who see this and who disagree with me, who want to discount me and say that I'm not a true activist. But I believe that true activism is uh, saying the hard thing, even if it's unpopular, and is doing the hard work, even if you're doing it alone. And in this instance, I'm not alone. There are millions of people out there just like me. There are millions of Texans out there just like me who understand what is at stake and want to ensure that we can move our state forward and that we can keep our country intact. And so I'm proud to, to vote for them next year, and I'm proud to encourage other young people to do the same. Can you give us a quick update on uh, Lou's Cruz and the, the fight to place Ted Cruz as, as your senator? I mean, replace Ted Cruz is, I think, like, just period, boom. Like, that's the that's the thing that people consistently need to hear. Uh, this is a guy who, you know, people talk about the winter storm. I don't want to talk about that all the time. I want to talk about how Ted Cruz is legislatively ineffective. What have you done for the people of Texas? You know, even you look at the other Republican in contrast, you look at John Cornyn. Uh, John Cornyn, a senior, a senior senator from Texas, he worked bipartisanly to pass major legislation. He works constantly to try to bring money back to the state. What is Ted Cruz doing? to better the living conditions of people in the state of Texas, even on a, on a bipartisan scale. What is he doing to improve the, the access of water infrastructure? What is he doing to include the access of broadband internet? Because from what I understand, he has voted against every single bill that has brought federal investments into the state of Texas, whether it was the Chips and Science Act, whether it was the infrastructure bill, whether it was the Inflation Reduction Act. These are all pieces of legislation that Ted Cruz voted against that will substantially benefit the people of Texas. And that is just reflective of him, not only as a senator, but as a person, where he's ineffective, but it's also all about his bottom line and his image, not about what's actually going to better the living conditions of his constituents. Well, Olivia, as always, great to have you. Keep up the fight. Thanks for joining us. Of course. How stupid can you be to elect somebody like that? Fuck. Must be gerrymandered out of sight. Welcome back. We're listening to the latest Midas Touch clips this morning. I'm Midas Mighty. Thank you for 300k, even if it's just mm, law enforcement surveilling me without a warrant, as usual. This is Michael Popak, Legal AF After Dark. Georgia is not to be forgotten as we discuss Donald Trump's mm. trials and including upcoming ones. There's some developments there with reporting on the prosecutor, Bonnie Willis, and who she's going to cut a deal with next. And is Donald Trump, Rudy Giuliani, and Mark Meadows even part of her consideration as to who she might cut a deal with? Karen Friedman Ignifolo and I, on a most recent edition of Legal AF Podcast, only here on the Midas Touch YouTube channel, just discussed it, broke it down for you, and here's a clip from that segment. Let's get right into it. Let's let, let kick it off with something. I'll frame it, turn it right over to you. You said, I'll paraphrase, <laughs> I'm never good at quoting, three or four episodes ago, no way, Bonnie Willis, right, prosecutor to prosecutor, no way, she's going to offer a plea deal to the following three people. 
I remember correctly. Donald Trump, Rudy Giuliani, and I think you said Meadows. So if you're playing Aaron McNiffalo bingo, okay, you can now yell out bingo because that is the new reporting about the Fawnie Willis and and who she is and who she is not or or, or, uh, to the point going to offer a plea deal to. Take it from there. Yeah, so look, this wasn't something that anybody who's a former prosecutor could make that same guess. So uh, it, it wasn't that hard to, to kind of see that that's where they're going. And, and the reason is because when we, when we, as prosecutors, we, they, whatever, when we are deciding who to make a deal with, uh, you typically don't flip down, you flip up. And what that means is, there's a hierarchy when you are prosecuting a group of people typically, right? There's typically, like if you think of the mafia or a violent gang or, or any other sort of criminal enterprise, which the, she is prosecuting them under the theory of RICO, which has to do with criminal enterprises, there's a hierarchy and a structure. And you've got people at varying levels of culpability and whoever the upper echelons, the top people are, the ones that you're really looking to potentially uh, convict and hold responsible. And in this particular case in Georgia, it really looks like those are the ones that are most culpable. And so I think that it makes sense that, uh, that this is where we are and how we got here. I also think she could have drawn the line with, the, with some of the lawyers as well. I think Eastman and Chesborough, for example, could have been or could be on that list as well because they're, they're the enablers, the architects, whatever you want to call them, of this entire uh, scheme to defraud the voters of Georgia uh, of their rightful elected or electors. And so I could see also them being on the list, but I think the reason she's deciding to get the lawyers out of the case, which is what, what so far it seems like she has done, is to try to neutralize any advice of counsel defense and, and get them to cooperate because Trump has signaled that that's going to be one of his main defense. That look, I was just relying on my lawyers. You know, my really smart lawyers, they came out and they told me that this was okay, and that's going to be one of the defenses, right? I'm not a lawyer. How was I supposed to know? I rely on lawyers to tell me what to do, just like he's just typical of what he's doing in his civil fraud case in New York, right? I relied on the accountants. Like, he, he never wants to take responsibility for anything and always blames somebody else. So, the and, and the way this all seems to come out, so, so The Guardian, a, a reporter, Hugo Lowell, uh, is the one who broke this story. He's, he's, um, he's somebody who is a pretty good, really, I think a really good reporter, and he broke the story that um, that it, she's not making offers to Trump, Meadows, and Giuliani. And how did we? How did he figure it out, or how did people figure this out, other than just it makes sense? And I think what I'm gleaning from the reporting is. There was a report by John Eastman. There was a, a, um, a request from John Eastman, uh, one of Trump's former lawyers, who asked the judge, McAfee, to do this kind of strange, divide up the case between two groups, you know, let Trump go by himself and let everybody else go in two separate groups. And, you know, this way Trump can go at some other future time. You know, he's busy running for office and, and 
he needs to, to do that. So let's not worry about him and worry about security from the Secret Service, et cetera. I, you know, let's, and I want my trial to end before, I want it to be completed in 2024. I don't want it to go into 2025 the way Bonnie Willis has suggested because she asked for an August of 2024 trial date and she, uh, and, and she said uh, it'll go into 2024. So Eastman said, look, I don't want that. I want to go sooner. And the reason I think that's significant is Bonnie Willis said to the judge when she said, you know, look, judge, I want an August trial date. And anyone who has gotten an offer, I'm going to give them a deadline of June 21st to take this offer or not. Because think about anyone can plead guilty at any time in a criminal case, right? A defendant usually pleads not guilty. And then at some point they can decide to either plead guilty or go to trial. Every defendant has that right. But the whether or not to offer a plea or a deal or cooperation is 100% in the control of the prosecutor. The prosecutor decides by themselves 100% whether or not they're going to reduce the charge uh, for nothing or for an exchange for something. And what Bonnie Willis is saying, anyone who I've given a plea offer to, you have until June 21st to accept it. After that, it's plea to the charge or go to trial. And she wants to know, A, who, who are her witnesses going to be? Who is she going to trial against with, with all the defense? I think there's 14 people left. She's going to want, or 15 people left right now. You know, she'd have, they'd have to at least probably have two trials, to, but she's going to try to winnow it down further. And she says, and, and what Eastman said was, look, let's make all those dates even sooner, right? Let's move all those dates forward even more not June 21st, let's make it even shorter so that we can all go to trial, et cetera. And I think that little kind of signal of him wanting to do this and moving the plea deadlines different, um, et cetera, I think that's how we know who got offers and who didn't. Because look, there's probably some kind of joint defense discussion. The defense attorneys are talking amongst themselves. And I'm sure that they said, hey, did you get an offer? Did you get an offer? Like they're sharing that information about who got what. And it's looking like Meadows, Trump, and Giuliani's lawyers had to sit there silently and be like, oh, we didn't get an offer. And that's how I think this is coming out. That's again, this is this is not this is me gleaning and reading tea leaves. Let's just be clear. But I think just given everything that's going on there, I think that's where that is coming from. And just one more thing before I turn it over to you, I still find Meadows to be the biggest head scratcher of all because I don't understand how he can both be at the same time somebody who's so seriously responsible that he's not even gonna get a plea offer and it's plea to the charge and we're going to trial against in Georgia and he's not even an unindicted co-conspirator in Jack Smith's case. It's just to me like, if you would think that Jack Smith would view him as seriously or as important or as, you know, he's at least an unindicted co-conspirator because it doesn't look like he's cooperating. So I don't know. I'm still, that's still the head scratcher for me, but, uh, but that's, that's my reading the tea leaves of everything that's, that's kind of going on in Georgia. With Meadows, I, think, I agree with you with the mismatch. I think it's a timing issue. I think at the time they brought the indictment Meadows, they still held out hope that Meadows would cooperate even more than he was already cooperating to the limited immunity deal that it looks like he had. And then they have decided for various reasons since then 
not to do what they did in Mar-a-Lago, which is to bring a superseding indictment, which may have captured, no pun intended, caught Meadows, but because of things that you've actually said, we've said in past episodes of Legal AF, they don't want to have anything on their side playing the March date. Um, they didn't want to, they don't want to F with, to paraphrase the title of the show, they didn't want to F with the indictment um, while and let Donald Trump just shoot at that one and not kind of raise the issue. So I think it's more of a timing issue. And, and, and the reporting is that it's also Bonnie uh, Willis signaling to everybody else who should like to get to settle. If you're waiting around, you think I'm going to settle out this case and plea out this case at the top, um, and you're going to wait till the very end, don't do that. Because I'm not going to plead this case out. I'm going to try this case in the summer against these three guys and whoever else is left. So you're running out of time, folks, says, uh, on your flip-up um, metaphor, to come in and talk to me. And then the new, the other thing I'll, I'll hit here briefly is that Ken Chesbro, speaking of attorneys, that Bonnie Willis has worked hard to kind of get out of the way and have them cooperate. Ch Ken Chesbro, the architect of the fake elector scheme, or what I call the one of the midwives giving birth to the scheme along with John Eastman, constitutional half-scholar, uh, is the convicted felon now, because he pled guilty to one felony count in Georgia, but is fully cooperating. Interestingly, of all of the videos that were released to the media of the proffer, the cooperating testimony of Sidney Powell, Jenna Ellis, and, um, and Chesbro, the only one that didn't come out was Chesbro. So you got to think, but there was already bad stuff against Donald Trump in those, and I know that, I know that Willie, uh, Miss, sorry, Miss, Misty Hampton, the Coffee County election supervisor's lawyer, is, is the one that admitted that he just he really leaked all of the videos. Yes. Uh, yeah, right, right. He, he like, I got a bug out confession to make, Your Honor, before you move on to the next person on the Zoom. I did it. Uh, we never could figure out why, but he didn't. We were like, God, there's bad stuff in there against Trump. Every one of them said something really bad against Donald Trump, why would you think you want that released? But he didn't release Chesbro, so you got to think Chesbro's got to be really bad. And he now has asked for permission because he is a convicted felon that is subject to the court's uh, control under conditions of release. And he's asked Judge McAfee give him a, uh, a hall pass to go visit other states and the feds. This uh, <laughs> isn't a class trip, everybody. He's not going to Washington to go to the Smithsonian check out the new museum <laughs> going to talk to jack smith he didn't say it in his papers and the judge was like where do i sign one line granted and now he's going on a whistle stop tour nevada arizona to go talk to the attorney generals there about their fake elector investigations and his role in it but on donald trump all along the way and talking to the feds talking to jack smith oh he said we said it certainly on the midweek edition karen that the people that were cooperating with, with Bonnie Willis are going to have their ticket punched because they're going to have to cooperate with Jack Smith for many, many reasons. They've already proffered, and they have a duty to, to tell the truth. And so the first one that looks like who needs to ask permission because he's a felon, Sidney Powell pled guilty to a misdemeanor. Jenna Ellis was a misdemeanor too, right, Karen? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. I think the only felon is Chesbro. And Yes. So he probably had the greater conditions that had to be modified in order to go do this. For all we know, Powell went too. Sidney Powell went too. For all we know, we just we just don't know that. Well, there is an example of what we do twice a week on the Midas Touch 
uh, YouTube channel. It's the only place we do it exclusively there. Help them. Free subscribe. It's a grassroots independent media network without outside investors. You're what we need to keep things going with a free subscription. Then follow Legal AF on Wednesdays and Saturdays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. I had no idea what 100 calories looked like until I tried this. I thought I was eating healthy, but I never realized I was eating over three. Hey, everybody, it's Troy. Hey, listen, House Oversight Committee Chair James Comer was out today with his latest blockbuster bombshell evidence for impeachment against Joe Biden. What he has are bank records, fund transfers of $1,380 from Hunter Biden's company, Owasco PC, to Joe Biden in 2018, when Joe Biden was not a member of public office. Now, Comer and the House Republicans have been trying desperately to build a case that Hunter Biden's misdeeds tie in personally to President Joe Biden, that somehow Hunter Biden was laundering money for Joe Biden or paying off Joe Biden, paying Joe Biden through these offshore accounts, through foreign influence. Uh, this is just the latest attempt to prove that. Unfortunately, this one, like all the others, completely crashes and burns. Today, the House Oversight Committee is releasing subpoenaed bank records that show Hunter Biden's business entity, Owasco PC, made direct monthly payments to Joe Biden. This wasn't a payment from Hunter Biden's personal account but an account for his corporation that received payments from China and other shady corners of the world. At this moment, Hunter Biden is under an investigation by the Department of Justice for using a Wasco PC for tax evasion and other serious crimes. And based on whistleblower testimony, we know the Justice Department made a concerted effort to prevent investigators from asking questions about Joe Biden. I wonder why. The more we learn, it appears the Justice Department was trying to cover up for the Bidens until brave IRS whistleblowers came forward and a federal judge rejected the sweetheart plea deal. Payments from Hunter's business entity to Joe Biden are now part of a pattern revealing Joe Biden knew about, participated in, and benefited from his family's influence peddling schemes. Well, you notice he didn't actually provide any evidence there in that video, and that's probably because the evidence has already been revealed, and it's incredibly soft. It was reported in April of 2022. These expenditures, these $1,380 expenditures, were made from Hunter Biden's firm to Joe Biden in 2018. We have the email records of the payments from emails that were leaked from the investigation into Hunter Biden's laptop, and those emails reveal these payments to be repayments for a car, for a truck. Joe Biden purchased a Ford truck for Hunter Biden when Hunter was reportedly low on cash. And Hunter Biden was paying his father back for the truck. According to email records, Hunter Biden did make three payments of $1,380 from his company to Joe Biden for a total of $4,140 in 2018. $4,140 in repayments for a truck. Joe Biden purchased a truck for Hunter, fronted the money for a truck for Hunter, and Hunter was paying him back. This is now the bombshell blockbuster evidence that James Comer and the House Republicans want to use to impeach Joe Biden. Aside from the fact that, once again, these expenditures are, were already known about for over a year and a half. 
in April of 2022, these expenditures were reported by the New York Post. So these is not like this is new evidence, something that nobody knew before that they just discovered. They're taking these payments that Hunter Biden's company made to Joe, which have been identified as these loan repayments, and trying to repackage them as if they had just discovered some new funds transfer, some new illegal or nefarious fund trans funds transfer from Hunter Biden to Joe Biden. But we've known about these payments since April of 2022 for a long time. So there's nothing new about that. The the uh, motive behind what they're trying to say here is a little bit strange. They're trying to suggest that the Chinese government, which reportedly has ties to this Hunter Biden company, at least that's what the House Republican Oversight Committee is claiming, they're trying to say that the Chinese government was making payments to Joe Biden through Hunter amounted to four thousand one hundred and forty dollars in 2018 before joe biden was president the chinese were apparently so convinced that joe biden would become president in 2020 that he would win that election that they slipped him a little over four grand through hunter to do something i don't know it's some sort of influence peddling in the amount of four thousand one hundred and eighty dollars to a man who was not yet president so this sham republican politically motivated impeachment inquiry will continue. Republicans have yet to provide any hard evidence whatsoever that Joe Biden committed a crime worthy of impeachment. Hunter Biden is not the president. Hunter Biden is a private citizen. The House Republicans and the House Oversight Committee have not provided any evidence that Joe Biden did anything wrong so far. But they will continue to push this narrative because they believe it helps them politically, that it makes Joe Biden's poll numbers drop. They're trying to message control through a fake impeachment. They're trying to constantly control the news cycle with news about a coming impeachment of Joe Biden for corruption that is never coming because they would have done it already. There's not enough evidence. Even Republican members of the House of Representatives and the Senate say there isn't enough evidence to impeach Joe Biden, but they're keeping this charade going because it gets their base excited, and they think it will hurt Joe Biden's poll numbers. For my touch, this is Troy. Remember, smash that subscribe button to keep supporting independent media, and head on over to MidasTouch.com for this and all the breaking news of the day. Thanks all. Hey, Midas Mighty, love this report. Continue the conversation by following us on Instagram. She at doesn't Midas need Touch. No Instagram. Keep up with the most important news of the day. What are you waiting for? Follow us now. Ridiculous. Motherfuckers, where are they? <clears throat> they introduced false evidence, fake doctored text messages between Hunter and his uncle. Why Attention ladies, they? upgrade your bra game with this new bra. This right here is a supportive comfort wireless shaping. Uh. I'm Ben Micellis from the Midas Touch Network. The legacy media keeps doing these stories, it seems like, on a weekly basis, saying that Muslim leaders have started this movement, hashtag abandoned Biden or no vote Biden 2024 saying that they are withholding their vote and the legacy media is making this to be a widespread systemic thing. So I wanted to go and check this out and see, is the legacy media reporting on this fairly and objectively? And the results of our investigation is that, surprise, surprise, 
legacy media is it? Let me explain what we've uncovered. So the two main voices that are frequently cited in all of these articles that pop up, as I said, on a weekly basis, how Muslim leaders are abandoning President Biden, uh, include two individuals, one by the name of Hassan Shibli from Florida, another one by the name of Hassan Abdel Salam from Minnesota. Regarding Shibley, our investigation reveals that he doesn't appear to have ever been a Biden supporter. And looking at some of his past posts, he has called President Biden disgusting back in 2020. Shibley has also been accused of engaging in abusive behavior against his wife and other women in an organization that he led and which he was forced to resign. I will talk more about that in this video. Regarding Hassan Abdel Salam, he started a website that is frequently cited in these articles that's referred to as No Vote Biden 2024, and there is a pledge that he asks people to take on change.org. Pledge not to vote for Biden, no ceasefire, no vote, no Biden vote 2024. Looking at this website, I see 10,818 total signatures. But as you dig deeper into this website that is being created, here's what it says in terms of people who are requested to sign this pledge. All people worldwide are asked to sign the pledge to not vote for President Biden, even if they cannot vote in the U.S. elections, as an act of solidarity, it states. I want to dig deeper into this with you in our investigation. But first and foremost, I want to play for you the video that's being shown by lots of right-wing media. This is the video of Hassan Shibley saying that he will not be voting for President Biden and that he wants to make President Biden a one-term president and other things that are kind of nonsensical on their face, given the alternative is somebody who wants to push forward a Muslim ban, as, as he previously did, someone who's stated in Donald Trump, I'm obviously referring to, who wants to uh, deport student protesters, who Donald Trump refers to as pro-Hamas student protesters. Um, and Donald Trump said that he would, you know, and someone, Donald Trump, who said that he would uh, be engaging in uh, additional uh, 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 conduct in the Middle East that would seem on its surface to be objectionable or more objectionable to the people who are saying abandoned Biden in these videos. Let me show you this clip and then let's delve deeper. Here, play this clip. The community will not vote for you. We'll lose office. Only then can we hope that in future elections, it may take four years, eight years, 12 years, 20 years, but at least we will send a message. And so in the future, Next time there's a Democrat in office, you will not take our vote for granted. You will recognize that there's a red line, and hopefully we'll do the right thing in that circumstance. Because if we were to vote for Biden after what he's done, it'll just send a message that it's okay. We have to teach the Democrats a lesson. We have to teach all candidates a lesson that there's a red line. And if they want our vote, they can't support genocide. And frankly, that's in line with what the American people want. Okay, so now let's take a look at all of the articles that are being published that quote, Mr. Shibley, that quote, Hassan Abdal Salam. This was one from The Guardian. Muslim leaders in swing states pledged to abandon Biden over his refusal to call for a ceasefire. 
Here's Politico's headline. Swing state Muslim leaders launched to abandon Biden in 2024. Muslim American voter group vows to abandon Biden over Gaza war. This is the New York Post. And, and a lot of these articles basically do exactly what the New York Post says. They cite uh, Shibley from Florida. Quote, we cannot allow genocide Joe to have another term in office, said organizer Hassan Shibley of Florida, accusing Biden of being directly responsible for the deaths of 10,000 children in Gaza, a death toll touted by the terror group that has not been confirmed. Representatives from Muslim communities in Arizona, Michigan, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Florida, Georgia, Nevada, North Carolina, and Pennsylvania met in Dearborn, Michigan to publicize their plans to turn voters away from Biden next year. You see Shibley right there, because he's basically the main voice of this. But a further analysis of who Shibley is, oh, and by the way, there's articles like this from October and November and December. Um, Shibley, who's, who's Hassan Shibley? Civil Rights Organization CARE, C-A-I-R, accused of ignoring alleged misconduct. And this is about Hassan Shibley, who in 2021 was uh, 34 years old. For months, story, this is from NPR, for months, stories swirled around a prominent Muslim civil rights leader alleging secret marriages, bullying, sexual harassment. Then late last year, some of the allegations against 34-year-old Hassan Shibley burst into public view. In a video posted on GoFundMe, Shibley's estranged wife, mother of their three children, looked directly into the camera and begged for help. She said her abusive husband had cut her off financially. Quote, for years I've been in an abusive relationship and the situation at home has become unbearable, Iman Surati said. I finally decided to build the courage to start over for my children and I. Within 15 days of his estranged wife's video going live, Shibley resigned from his high-profile job at CARES Florida Chapter. In an interview with NPR, Shibley denied abuse allegations, including that he twisted his wife's arm, slapped her, and shoved her against a wall during one incident last summer. That's Radati detailed in court documents. Shibley also denied all other allegations of misconduct. His resignation, though, didn't put the matter to rest. Shibley's departure emboldened a slew of women to come forward with their own accusations of emotional abuse and sexual misconduct by him and of workplace discrimination at CARE's national office and several prominent chapters. NPR interviewed half a dozen of Shibley accusers, reviewed internal CARE documents, C-A-I-R, social media posts and email exchanges. Together, the accounts portray Shibley as a man who used his position to seduce women and bully critics with impunity. For me, and I know many families out there, it's more important than ever to make sure that you're saving money and cutting back on your expenses. For example, see them. One button to change my car at less than $7. That's it. It looks like the Fed has just declared war, war on, on Americans, Americans again. again. Um, of him going on a trip with others from the organization and taking photographs using the official uh, phone from CARE of flight attendants, skirts, and behinds, and, and things like that. Um, and one of the women said it was ex just ex explicitly uncomfortable to know that my supervisor was essentially taking secret pictures of women while I was on an international trip. 
Um, if you go into some of his social media posts, you see that he was not a Biden supporter. As I mentioned at the outset of this video, he said regarding Biden, uh, he used the word uh, disgusting, and he says, how did Biden feel about the Arabs? Biden campaign slogan is, quote, we know Joe. Well, we know Joe very well. We know before he was pandering to our community for votes, he was at APAC calling Arabs, and it's an Instagram post. This is from March 8th of 2020, attacking uh, Joe Biden back then as well. Um, and so that's Hassan Shibley. And then you go and you move to Hassan Abdel Salam. Um, if you look at Hassan Abdel Salam's background, he seems to have attended school um, up until his Ph.D. outside of the United States of America. Um, and so it's, you know, un unclear where, what he, where or what or who he's voted for or how his voting patterns have been in the past or his registration status. So I want to say that from the outset. Um, it does say here uh, that he's a human rights professor from the University of Minnesota. Um, and then when you go into what this pledge is about, and as I said, there's only 10,818 signatures on this, it says that it says all people worldwide are asked to sign the pledge, even if they cannot vote in the U.S. elections, as an act of solidarity. So requesting that people who aren't eligible to vote sign a pledge to not vote for President Biden to inflate the numbers, and then you have legacy media on a petition that's secured worldwide, worldwide, more than 7 billion people, 10,818 signatures, then you have the legacy media reporting um, on uh, that these, making it feel that these groups are far bigger than they are, creating a narrative. As my brother Brett wrote on a post, he says, this is not a Biden voter, uh, Hassan Shibley, someone who's accused of sexual misconduct. There's no real social media presence for this, quote, movement before the media coverage. This is not a real trend. It's an astroturf op being amplified by legacy media because it scares people, riles them up, and get clicks. And what I'm not doing with this video is I'm not going to go deeper into um, the message that's being spread by um, uh, these individuals, Hassan Shibli and Hassan Abdal-Salam. I'm focusing this video on the responsibility of the legacy media in how they cover these individuals and amplify this, spread the message, and then create a narrative that picks up steam when if you look at it, the very first thing that I would try to focus my stories on with the power of my pen as a journalist is if you're going to quote Hassan Shibley, you should explain his past. You can say he's denied the allegations because he has, but you should explain his past, the investigation that was conducted, his resignation, and what he's previously said about President Biden. Similarly, if you're going to do the story on Hassan Abdel Salam, and you're going to cite him, what you should do is you should say that according to the website that he's created, it says that people worldwide are asked to sign this pledge, which is a concerning thing, that asking people who are non-voters to sign this pledge. 
those are things that, that I would focus on. And then I would also focus on the fact of what Donald Trump's viewpoint is here. And if you're going to quote these individuals, you should ask them. You should say Donald Trump stated that he's going to deport Muslims and that he's not going to let Muslims in and he's going to deport student protesters and that Donald Trump's uh, approach to this, what would be your response to that? And get a leveled, objective response here to what's taking place or at least attempt and try to in your in your story, which the media isn't doing here. That's why I wanted to cover this. It's why I wanted to let you know what's going on here. And then, um, you know, and then we'll go from there. But let's at least establish these, these, this objective criteria when we report on these things. I'm Ben Micellis from the Midas Touch Network. And subscribe. We're on our way to 2 million subscribers. And join us at Patreon.com. See if there's anything else I missed. Looks like we're kind of caught up on this morning's Midas Touch. Oh, wait, here's something. Republicans announcement instantly backfires in their faces. About to begin. It looks like the Fed has just declared, declared war, war on, on Americans, Americans again. Today, the House Oversight Committee is releasing subpoenaed bank records that show Hunter Biden's business entity, a Wasco PC, made direct monthly payments to Joe Biden. This wasn't a payment from Hunter Biden's personal yeah, account, truck. but an account for his corporation that received payments from China and other shady corners of the world. No wonder MAGA Republican James Comer doesn't want to hold any public committee hearings to get Hunter Biden's testimony as offered by Hunter Biden. MAGA Republican James Comer, let's face it, is an idiot. I'm Ben Micellis from the Midas Touch Network. What? James Comer is talking about there has been known for a long period of time, except Detective James Comer over there doesn't mention the key facts like this payment, $1,380, three of those payments for a total of $4,140 was made in 2018 when President Biden was not the president when he was not the vice president, when Hunter Biden was struggling from drug addiction and couldn't afford to make a payment for a new car, and Joe Biden lent him money for a Ford Raptor, which then Hunter reimbursed his dad for, three payments in the amount of $1,380. This has all been documented in multiple emails and spreadsheets from that laptop that the MAGA Republicans have been talking about for a long, long time. Heck, the New York Post wrote a story about this back in April of 2022. This is old news. This doesn't show anything at all. And this is going to once again backfire in MAGA Republican James Comer's face. And just so you can see the documents, because I always want to show you everything here on the Midas Touch Network. Here's that $1,380 payment. Um, Katie Dodge is uh, Hunter Biden's assistant. And you see her referencing this payment, $1,380 for the Ford Raptor right there. Here it is on another uh, spreadsheet right here. 
um, that's attached to the email, the 2018 Ford Raptor uh, truck payment. And this relates to, and it's documented in the emails, as Hunter transitions into his career. These are payments that Hunter had to pay back his father when his father lent him this money when Hunter didn't have credit and couldn't afford to buy the Ford truck on his own. So that's what this is. And as our editor-in-chief at MidasTouch.com sarcastically uh, remarked, it's clear that when Hunter Biden paid his dad $4,140 in 2018, the Chinese government knew that he would be president in 2021, and that $4,000 laundered through a truck loan was going to open a lot of doors for them on policy. Comer has cracked the case. Treason. Lipkowski's being uh, sarcastic there, but that is what James Comer is referring to. So it's not surprising why James Comer would not want to hold a public committee hearing with Hunter Biden. When Hunter Biden said, I'm happy to talk about that. I'll talk about whatever. Just bring me before the committee. Bring me in public. I will testify. Comer said that he would be too afraid at least that he would be afraid he doesn't want he calls little moskowitz he makes fun of democratic congress member jared moskowitz who he also calls uh, a smurf and dan goldman <laughs> and jamie raskin and others and uh, here you'll see james comer go why would i want to let those people get to ask questions also here play this clip of james comer uh, but you, you know as these Congressional investigation, these hearings go, uh, you've got uh, 20 members on each side that have five minutes each. We have tens of thousands of pages of documents where we need to sit down and ask specific substantive questions without filibustering, without interruption, without going five minutes back and forth with, with Jamie Raskins and Dan Goldman and, and uh, little Moskowitz jumping up and down, uh, fire, uh, Filing motions and trying to disrupt the committee hearings. Because, like everything, it all unravels very, very quickly. Like, y'all remember the very first impeachment inquiry hearing that was held, and uh, the witness, the supposed star, one of the star witnesses at the first hearing, um, said that there was not evidence of any impeachable Which one? Offenses. The Chinese spy? This for the Maga Republicans. Remember that? Play this or the weapons dealer. I do not believe that the current evidence would support articles of impeachment. Or the Russian or oligarch. remember when uh, Raja Krishnamurthy, Democratic Congress member, was questioning some of these so-called whistleblowers for these uh, MAGA Republicans, these IRS agents who were complaining about things that were happening while Donald Trump was in office and these so-called whistleblowers refused to even answer the questions. Here, play this clip. It looks like the Fed has just declared, declared war on Americans again. So-called whistleblowers refuse to even answer the questions. Here, play this clip. You were concerned about the complexities of the election cycle and potential delays that arose in connection with the election cycle. You said at page 23, and I remember there were always times where we were always on an impending election cycle. It was always the elections being brought up in early 2020. It was the presidential primaries. Now, sir, Joe Biden was not the president at that time either, was he? I, I mean, the answer to your question is no, he was not, but I don't see where you referenced it in my, you know, for Page me to follow 23. 
you're talking about how the election cycle is delaying decisions by the prosecution. And it turns out that the delay in the election cycle was happening at a time when Joe Biden was not the president. I'm sorry, sir. That's in Special Agent Ziegler's transcript. That's why I couldn't find it. <laughs> so, Mr. Ziegler and you shared concerns about delays related to the election cycle. But at that time, Joe Biden was not the president. I believe at that time he was the nominee for president. But, well, he was not the president, was he? It's just a simple question, sir. Can you rephrase the what, the, what time? <laughs> Joe Biden was not the president in the presidential primaries in 2020. Correct. That is correct. Sir, finally, Mr. Shapley, you said that warrants were ready as soon as April 2020 to begin searching for records, but actions weren't taken with regard to those warrants. Again, Joe Biden was not the president in April 2020, was he? So I'm confused by your line of questioning. We're talking about an election to which uh, now President Biden was a part of. So he didn't have to be the president to have election meddling. No, but the question is this. Was he the president at that time in April 2020? The, 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 it's been asked and answered. And what's the answer, sir? The elect. The elect. The answer is <laughs> yes or no. Is no that. Thank you. And, Thank uh, you. I yield back, Mr. And ultimately, when we talk about this backfiring on James Comer, I mean, once again, it just highlights everything this man says is just complete and utter garbage. Number two, why, if you have that fact, then why don't you cross-examine Hunter Biden about it in testimony? Hunter Biden said he's willing to talk about it, so why don't you cross-examine Hunter about it? By the way, Hunter Biden's uh, lawyer has responded, um, and Hunter Biden's lawyer um, has basically said, you know, again, this is just complete and utter um, BS. It's more of the same. Um, let me read you from uh, Abby Lowell, uh, his lawyer. There, Chairman Comer goes again, reheating what is old as new to try to revive his sham of an investigation, Hunter's lawyer said. The truth is, Hunter's father helped him when he was struggling financially due to his addiction and could not secure credit to finance the truck. When Hunter was able to, he paid his father back and took over the payments himself. As I mentioned, the New York Post wrote about this in April of 2022, which uh, Chair MAGA Republican Chair Comer is trying to repackage and present this as breaking news. But can I ask us a question here? What about this guy? What about Jared Kushner? Can we, and this isn't like a whataboutism. It's just, we know what this loan went to. We know that this was for a truck payment that's been documented. Biden wasn't in office. What are we even talking about here? Let's take a look at this guy. In Gaza, it's a very, very complicated place. I mean, we studied it for four years. We, 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 we were very closely watching all the different incursions that we managed to Moss and, and their, uh, their malicious activities uh, very, very closely. Uh, to avoid situations like this and uh, the places booby trapped like like crazy so that is jared kushner jared kushner who received two billion dollars from the saudi sovereign wealth fund about a billion a billion and a half more for other middle east nations he couldn't secure a security clearance jared kushner um and nonetheless because of our national intelligence agencies believed he was compromised. That's why he couldn't get a security clearance or he could be compromised. And 
nonetheless, he was like put in charge of our Middle East policy. He was an absolute and utter uh, disaster. Um, MBS, uh, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, said that he had Jared Kushner in his pocket. Um, Jared Kushner uh, apparently gave MBS, uh, uh, potentially gave him a list of enemies of uh, Saudi Arabia. Uh, meanwhile, you have Ivanka Trump getting uh, trademarks from China instantaneously. Um, and it's just uh, Ivanka and Jared Kushner, not $4,140 or whatever it is, when Biden was not the VP, when Biden was not the president, when Biden had not even announced he was running. How about the fact that Kushner and Ivanka made over $650 million, $680 million, $700 million close to that, while they had official positions for the United States government that they weren't elected to, while Donald Trump was in office? Are you kidding me? And then left? And after someone said, I have this person in my pocket, got $2 billion to manage? And the MAGA Republicans, James Comer, refused to do a public hearing with Hunter Biden, but want to go in front of that weird green screen or whatever the heck that even is, and then say that they found these documents totaling a repayment of a loan when Biden was not in office. What are you talking about? I mean, this should just aggravate the crap out of us because it's I don't care what political parties. It's just it's just wrong what these MAGA Republicans are doing. It's pathetic. I'm Ben Micellis from the Midas Touch Network. And subscribe. We're on our way to 2 million subscribers. Thanks to your support. Have a good one. Hey, Midas Mighty. Love this report? Continue the conversation by following us on Instagram, at Midas Touch, to keep up with the most important news of the day. What are you waiting for? Follow us now. It looks like the Fed has just declared war on Americans again. Because if they force us into a digital dollar, that means no greenbacks for swap meets or garage sales, no tooth fairy or piggy banks, no rainy day savings, no giving dollars to street performers or musicians. No more. Justin, mommy first. Trade blood during intense debate over George Santos expulsion. That's Forbes. Fuck Forbes. Damn, are we caught up on Midas Touch? What a bummer. Oh, shit.